0: Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more information at DesertCityChurch.com. If you want to open up to Luke chapter 10. So last week, we started a series called The Art of Neighboring. Like, it's interesting to think of neighboring as an art, right? But it it comes from the greatest commandment, which we talked about last week, uh, where God uh, gives us this this list of commands and uh, in the Old Testament. Um, And by the time Jesus comes along, there's all sorts of discussion about which commandments are more important than others. And Jesus gets asked this question about what is the greatest commandment? And he responds, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Then he says the second is, is like, it, it says love, to love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love your neighbor. So we talked about this idea of loving our neighbor. What does that look like? How does that play out? What does that mean? Who is my neighbor? And last week we uh, decided that we can't love our neighbor unless we know our neighbor. So we had homework assignment to learn our neighbor's names this week. Some of you uh, may have lived on a street for a number of years, know your neighbors, uh, some of you might be brand new to a, a street, but here in Phoenix, there's, there's not like real strong neighborhood communities. So like learning our neighbors' names, even that can be a challenge. So last week, it was like a simple task to learn our neighbors' names. Today, I wanna continue this, continue this uh, discussion. Is there feedback? A little, bit, a, little bit. a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, it's feedback, not the voice of God <laughs> echoing. We good? So we we looked last week at a parable of the Good Samaritan, and I want to continue that conversation today. So Luke chapter 10, we'll start in verse 25. If you can read along with me. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Interesting story, story that probably one of the more popular stories in scripture, probably a story that we've heard over and over again. Even if you don't have a background with the church, we probably know what a good Samaritan is. Last week, we kind of looked at some of the context around this story. Some of the characters who were involved looked at this priest who, uh, at first appearance, seems to be kind of maybe apathetic or not, you know, not able to help the man who's been beaten. But we talked about how this probably isn't the case. The priest was probably actually on his way to, to do duty, his duty in the temple, and uh, with his responsibilities, he had uh, a schedule to follow. He had the deadlines to hit. He had to keep himself ceremonially clean so that he could serve. And so it wasn't necessarily that he was just being apathetic. It was just that he had other stuff going on. So to the Levite. We're not sure why they pass by this man that's been beaten. And then we talked about how there's this Samaritan who stops and As we think of the Samaritan in our culture, Samaritan has like a good reputation. Someone who's a good Samaritan is a do-gooder, right? It's someone who stops to fix flat tires on the side of the road. There's organizations named after good Samaritans. But in this story, as Jesus tells it, to bring up a Samaritan would have been a very radical statement. The Jewish people and the Samaritans despised each other. They didn't like each other at all. The fact that one of them would stop to help would have been very much radical. Jesus tells a story about neighboring and loving others. So we talked about kind of some of the context of what's going on in this passage, but this week I want to look at the actual action of the Samaritan. What the Samaritan does. And I would suggest what the Samaritan does here is an act of kindness. An act of kindness. That's a very simple statement, but it's also very profound. The Samaritan has an act of kindness. It says that when the Samaritan sees the man, he has pity on him. Other translations will say compassion. Compassion. It's a word that we've actually talked about a lot here at Desert City. This, this, uh, when you get kind of the uh, look at the the root of what's going on here. When you look at like the Greek, you get this word picture. When it says that he has compassion, the word is this splunk, splunknon. It's where we get the word spleen, right? It's, it's something inside of him ached. Uh, for for uh, the people in this culture, when they would have pity on something, it would say like literally like their bowels would ache. Like for us, it would be like you have heartache. It breaks your heart to see something. But what's interesting about this idea of pity or compassion is that it's this emotion where you see it and you ache, but it always leads to action. The Samaritan acts out of compassion. Of pity. He sees this man. We see this in the life of Jesus where uh, he sees the crowds that are hungry, 5,000 people, and it says that he sees them and he takes pity on them. He has this ache inside of him and he feeds 5,000 people. We see other times where he's running into people who need healing. Jesus has compassion, he has pity, and it moves him to action. He uses the same word here telling the story. The Samaritan sees something deep. He has this ache deep inside that leads to action. And then his, his action is actually very selfless. He goes to the man and he bandages him up with his wounds. He stops everything that he's doing. doesn't matter kind of like what his schedule is or what his deadlines are, where he has to be. He selflessly gives of himself to this person. Then after that, he provides for him. There's an act of generosity. He puts the man on his donkey, takes him to an inn, takes care of his housing, says he's going to reimburse whatever uh, debt the guy accrues there. There's this generosity. So today as we talk about this idea of kindness when it comes to loving our neighbors, there's a good definition from this story. Kindness is compassionate, selfless, generosity it's compassionate selfless generosity anytime that we're kind to someone else it requires us giving something something's taken from us and when we think about kindness there's like kindness kind of like the surface level kindness that's fuzzy feelings Um, but the kind of kindness that we see from this Samaritan is there's this deep expression of love for his fellow man. He's willing to to go to great lengths to be kind to this person. Jesus says, as we love our neighbors, this is what's required. This kind of kindness. I like to watch TED Talks because I'm kind of a nerd. I don't know if you guys watch TED Talks. TED Talks are very interesting. I always get fresh ideas for it. Curiosity leads me to watching them, but also as a uh, giving, up, giving, giving sermons. I like to watch how other people communicate. So every now and then I'll, I'll watch a TED Talk, and I came across one um, a while back about an organization that's committed to kindness. It was founded back in 2010, and this organization uh, really has one focus, to bring kindness into the world. The organization is called the Life Vest. Maybe you've heard of it. They released a video back in 2010 that ended up going viral about paying kindness forward. But it's interesting, as they talk about kindness in this TED Talk, they start talking about kindness in scientific terms. And I thought it was interesting they said this. The researchers uh, led them uh, to, uh, to kind of this informa- information. They say, like, like most medical antidepressants, kindness stimulates the, produc- the production of serotonin. Serotonin, heals your wounds, calms you down, and makes you happy. Kindness boosts serotonin in the giver, the receiver, and everyone who witnesses it. So every act of kindness spreads through three degrees of separation. So serotonin is released in the person that's being kind, the person that's receiving kindness, and then anyone who witnesses the action. Engaging in acts of kindness produces also endorphins the brain's natural painkiller. On top of that, it produces oxytocin, also known as the cuddle hormone. For all you married couples, you know what that. Is. Compassionate people have two times the amount of DHEA, which slows down aging, and compassionate people have 23% less cortisol, the infamous stress hormone. So as they start talking about kindness, this, this organization, they start using these scientific terms. And they talk about kindness as almost this thing that's contagious. It's this thing that makes relationships better and it spreads. And as I watch this video, they talk about almost like this, this perpetual cycle of kindness. As we're kind to other people, the giver, the receiver, all of those who are witnessing, something happens, this deeper connection that comes from human kindness. I remember you know, watching that and thinking kindness something that's like, oh, nice fuzzy feelings about how we treat each other. But the scientific, there's also this spiritual element. There's something deeper happening here in our relationships with others. It's also interesting that kindness is a fruit of the spirit. Evidence that God is in our life. And when we think about kindness, the people that should be kind are God's people his church. The early church, back in the first century, was first called Christians at this city called Antioch. The people were trying to understand who this group of Jesus followers are. They would come up with all these different names. Some people say that the the first name Christian was actually derogatory. Other people say it means little little Christ-like people. But what's interesting is the word kind in the Greek is the word krestos. It sounds just like Christ. So the early church, they, they would get this mixed up with those, the Christians, those who follow Christos. They're the Christos as well. The early church was known as the kind ones. In a violent, in a volatile empire, the church, these followers of Jesus were known as the kind ones. I love that. We think about loving our neighbors. Out of kindness it should be something that's absolutely central to our character. We should be kind because God is kind. Our God is kind. We think about us being made in the image of God and reflecting our maker. The reason that we're kind is because we find that God is kind. Psalm 103 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger on those who fear him. Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking. He says, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he, the Father, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Kindness is a characteristic of God, not just fuzzy feelings. When you, you hear this language, this God who's compassionate and gracious, gracious, not treating people as their sins deserve. Compassionate on his children as a father. We should be kind because God is kind. As we are kind, we reflect who God is. As the church, the world comes to understand more and more of God as we live out the character of God. I saw this quote and um, every now and then I come across a quote on the internet. This one may have been from my wife's Pinterest account. I don't know, I think she <laughs> left it open. It's from Mark Twain. I don't even know if it's by Mark Twain. I just think it's a great quote. It says, kindness is a language that the mute can speak, the deaf can hear, and the blind can see. Kindness is a way of communicating uh, when words are lost. And if we want to know this world to know who God is like, We have to be kind to each other. There's a communication piece here, a witness piece as the church that we're kind to other people. So we should be kind because God is kind. We should be kind to others because God has been kind to us. So we're kind just because this is who God is, and as his followers who are being formed to be more like him, we're kind. But then we're also kind to others because God is kind to us. And we think about the, the words that are in Psalm 103. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That passage in Luke, he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Paul's words in Titus 3, chapter 3, verse 3 says this. At one time, you two were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having hope of eternal life. His kindness. Romans chapter 2 says, His kindness leads us to repentance. As a follower of Jesus, we're here because of God's kindness. We're kind to others because he's kind to us. Throughout Scripture, there are these very distinct and specific instructions on how to treat people. As we talk about this greatest commandment, the command is not what leads us to salvation and eternal life. But the the command of being kind is evidence that we're in right relationship with God. His kindness leads us to repentance. Therefore, we are kind to others. When that's not lived out, Jesus has interesting words for it. He has these parables of what happens when uh, a person is said to be forgiven, but they're unwilling to forgive others. A person who's loved, but is unwilling to offer that love to others. In fact, you have to question whether or not you've really been transformed by God and understand his love and forgiveness if you're not willing to, in turn, live that out. When we come to this relationship with God, we realize we're undeserving of his kindness and he gives it to us anyway. We're kind to others because He is kind to us. We're recipients of God's kindness. The other thing is that kindness disarms a hypertense culture. Kindness is important because it, it disarms this hypertense culture. One of the pastors that I, I follow and listen to his podcast, his name is John Tyson, he says this, we're in a cultural crisis in terms of how to treat people in this country. Everyone is turning someone else into an enemy, demonizing them, and shouting at them forgetting how to be civil. What we need is a church committed to compassionate, selfless, generous acts of kindness. I think we all understand this hyper-tense culture that we live in, how quickly we are to be angry. Um, The other day, we were at uh, my father-in-law's soccer match. I want to talk about hyper-tense soccer, man. That brings out a special kind of angry in people. But after the match, uh, we all went out to we all went out to dinner, and uh, went to was it, what is it Joe's? What's it called out in Mesa? Joe's Grill, Joe's Farm, Farm grill. grill. Yes, If you ever been there? It's amazing. Yeah. By the way, I'm off my diet. 30 days is up. Um, <laughs> went out to this grill, and uh, we're there, and end up you know end up eating. Game was late. We're out in Mesa. We're all tired. Um, didn't finish till like 8:30, which when you have four children is like two in the morning. Um, packed up our kids, we're getting ready to leave. I'm tired, so I let Marcy drive. And as we're pulling out of the, the parking lot, um, it's dark and we're out in like Farmville, so there's not like lights anywhere. Uh, a family was crossing the road and we almost, we almost hit them. Marcy like slammed on the brakes. They had this teenage kid that darted out. And my initial response um, was, first of all, terror. We just about wiped this family out, but then anger. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're just crossing this road. There's no crosswalk. Like, we have lights and they're coming right at you. You're not paying attention. The kids probably on his phone. So I have this like built up, like getting ready to like roll my eyes, give them a stare, anger. And I look over at Marcy thinking, this is nuts. And she just started cracking up laughing. And she looked at them and waved and she smiled. And she's just like, huh. Ah. And they saw her reaction and they were just like, our bad, right? And it was like this, like I was like, aren't, and, and I, I realized sometimes I'm wound up so tight, I'm ready to just blow. And, and then I see like my wife, Marcy, is one of the kindest people in the world, has this ability to defuse situations. Kindness isn't easy for me, even as a pastor. You talk to my closest friends, they would say, I wouldn't consider Jared a kind person. <laughs> I'm competitive. I'm um, competitive. I'm just not. I'm just not a kind person naturally. My default is suspicion. My default is intensity, right? Um, and, and and then, like to see Marcy, who is just so kind, always defusing situations. Our kindness disarms a hypertense culture. We uh, are doing this series with one of our sister churches down in Arcadia. And uh, the pastor there is one of my good buddies, his name's Michael Fay. And uh, as they started the series, uh, he did something in his neighborhood when it comes to loving his neighbors. He realized, if I'm gonna preach on this, I need to actually like love my neighbors. And I was like, well you do that, let me know how it goes, because I'm gonna preach on it too. Um, But he did something yesterday, and and we're gonna talk more about this as the series goes on. Uh, But He's been living in a house for four years. Actually never met a lot of my neighbors. So he and his wife decided, we're going to bake cookies. And Michael's an unbelievable baker. He bakes things really well. That's a dig at him. But um, they they decided to to bake cookies and go down their street, knock on neighbors' doors. And uh, they're going to throw a block party and invite them over to their house. And so uh, they had this little invitation on it. And they said, we just want to get to know you. Here's some cookies that we baked. And uh, I was like, Mike, that's amazing. Terrifying, but amazing. And he said, he said he went to one house, and there was this older gentleman there. The uh, door, guy suspicious, what's going on? Oh, you're making cookies, come on in. Started having a conversation with this man. Got to know his name, uh, and he said, it was interesting, the man was all by himself. He started to share his story. And he, he said that he had recently been, um, his wife had died three years ago. They, they used to run a daycare center in their house. So they had like, children around, his wife was awesome with kids. And after his wife passed away, um, they obviously discontinued the daycare center. And so he's like, it's just silent, like all the time now. We used to have this house full of energy and kids. And Michael's like me, he's got four kids. Um, and so like, his kids showed up and he said, this is just such a joy like, to hear children's laughter again. And, the silence of this house is just, uh, wow, this is really a blessing. So Michael's like, wow, I had no idea this guy's living right next door to me. He's like, I didn't even know his wife died. I didn't know what, what his story was. And he goes around, the next house. The next house, uh, older couple opens the door, in, cookies, right, breaks the ice, right? Brings him in. And uh, he said he had known this man for two minutes. And he started to share uh, about his life, just opened up and said, you know, my wife found out she's terminally ill, um, so we're, we're suffering. We don't really have people to suffer with, uh, so it's just it's great that you guys would come over and even care about our story. So Mike had this conversation. So the man, as he, he started to talk about what his wife's going through, he starts bawling. Mike's like, I've known him for like two minutes, and he just opens up, and he's like, So after two houses, Mike's like, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it anymore. (laughs) Amazing what happens when we just hear people's story. Acts of kindness as a way of just disarming. Uh, Acts of kindness. When we think about loving our neighbors well, Jesus talks about this kind of kindness that is deep. It's not just this fuzzy feeling, but it's... uh, It's something that goes uh, deep into our relationships with others. To be kind the way that this good Samaritan was kind, to open up his life, to alter his life for this man who was suffering. Kindness disarms a hypertense culture, and our world is starving for it. The last thing is that kindness is not a life. It's a lifestyle, not an event. It's a lifestyle, not an event. Um, so those of you know, I joke around about this diet that I was on, Whole30. Um, feel good about how it went. Still learning principles about dieting and all that. But it's interesting when you talk to people who do like Whole30 or Paleo, they talk about dieting, is, it's not just this thing that you do for a couple weeks and then, and then it's over. Because if, if that's the case, you're just gonna gain the weight back. Like this has to actually be like a lifestyle change. So they, they say, I'm not on a diet, it's a lifestyle. And I I kind of learned that through like the whole 30, like, oh, this is like changing whole behavior, like this is changing habits, this is changing the way I I view food. And if you wanna see transformation for like long periods of time, it it, it can't just be like a pop diet, it has to actually be a lifestyle change. And I was thinking about that when I thought about this idea of kindness. What the world needs is not Christians who just decide we're gonna do these random acts of kindness for an event or for a week and then stop. The world needs a church that's changing its lifestyle around kindness. It says we, we're going to be kind to people no matter what. Because our God is kind and compassionate. And our God has been kind to us. Kindness is a lifestyle. It's, it's transformative for us, for those around us that we're kind to, and for all that who see it. So I hope today, as we consider loving our neighbors this week, we would consider how we can be kind to them. This could be very small and simple. This could be very uh, large, significant, deep. I don't know what that looks like. A couple things to think of for reflection. Who in your life needs to be on the receiving end of your kindness? Right now. Who in your life needs to be on the receiving end of your kindness? And then we have a homework assignment. If last week it was to learn your neighbors' names, and if you weren't able to finish that on time, that's fine. Do it this week. The second thing is this. Invite your neighbors to hang out. Invite your neighbors to hang out, whether it's coming over for coffee and dessert, a dinner, uh, going out to eat. On our street, we've got uh, this cul-de-sac, and all the neighbors that live on it, we call them the coldies. They're always having parties. Maybe just going out and inviting them to come out and hang out. Invite your neighbor to connect. Learn their name and invite them to connect. And then the last thing is, as we move to communion is this. Each week we end our time with the Eucharist. We end our time with the sacrament. We have different names for it, depending on what your tradition is. It's the Lord's Supper. But we end our week with it, or end our time on Sunday with it, because it's the story that we're all a part of. It's this message of what God has done in the world. God's been kind to us. The elements represent that kindness. So today, as we go to the table, the invitation is to remember and receive the kindness of God. So there's two symbols that we take. The bread, which represents the body of Christ, the incarnate God who came and walked among us. That bread was broken on the cross, that body was broken on the cross. And then the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was poured out out of his kindness, his great kindness. He broke himself open and he poured himself out and he took all the consequences of the brokenness of the world, all of the consequences of the ways that we miss the mark, and he absorbs the consequences on the cross. And he invites us into that relationship to trust him. And of all the different things that following Jesus is, it's his invitation to receive the kindness of God, and to show it to others. Maybe today, you've never come to this realization, God's been kind to you. And maybe you need something to just soften the ground of your heart so that the kindness of God can take root. We invite you to that table today. We'd love to share more about it with you. Maybe you know that story. You've heard it a number of times and you're living it. But your heart's still hard. Maybe you're tightly wound like me and you need to return today and just ask God to soften your heart as we remember and receive God's kindness. Maybe we a church that is kind to the world around us. Tim's gonna come back up. I'm gonna spend some time praying. Today we invite you to communion. We practice open communion. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited to take it here. If you don't know what that means, I'd love to talk to you. But let's take some time. and We're gonna take it on our own today. So as Tim comes up, we'll spend some time reflecting Spend some time in prayer, and then we'll receive this symbolic gift of God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for stories like the Good Samaritan. As we sort through what it means to be a follower of you, as we sort through what it means uh, to live the life that you've called us to, we, we have these sacred texts, these stories of Scripture that reveal your heart. Lord, this world needs kindness. All we have to do is hop online to see that, right? This world's starving for the fruit of your spirit. Lord, there's so many out there who uh, live lives of anger, live lives of confusion live lives without hope. And our prayer as a church, even as a young church, Lord, is to reveal to the world who you are, a kindness that communicates your character, even without our words. Lord, I ask that you would soften our hearts today. Lord, I ask that we would put on this character of kindness, this fruit of your spirit. So empower your church today, Lord. Transform us to be more like you. Your sons and we pray.